When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's October 11th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Mark Ritchie, II, manager of RTM Capital. Let's get a snapshot of where we stand as we start this week. The action today was once again, you can guess it, in commodities, crude oil rallying nearly 2%. Crypto also on the move. Bitcoin broke above 57000 at last check. U.S. equities, meanwhile, moving in the other direction. The Dow down half a percent. The S&P 500 down a third, the NASDAQ flat, and the bond market was closed for the long holiday weekend. Mark, it's great to have you back with us. I think the last time you were on was um, sometime in the summer, late summer, and it feels like a lot has happened since then. So why don't we start, give me an overview of how you're feeling right now about the investment landscape. What do you, what's on your radar? Sure. Maggie, good to be with you guys. Always fun to be back on Real Vision. Uh, so at the end of summer, really starting around the 4th of July, I was kind of uh, looking at a couple of different things, specifically the overall breadth, and I was anticipating the stock market led by mega cap tech to sort of break out and potentially lead us higher. And then I gave a few caveats of sort of what to look for under the hood if things didn't pan out that way. And that's sort of exactly the way things played out. So if you look at a chart, either the NASDAQ or the NYSE composite, you'll see that the advanced decline line peaked in early summer. And then the, while the index sort of made marginal new highs in around August, it was not confirmed. And that's usually a negative divergence you know, by, by my work. That's the sign of sort of a tired bull. You know, the, 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 the bull herd is losing members even as it's you know, continuing onward in its trajectory. And, and the breadth under the surface, and I mentioned uh, prior, you know, that we had, this was when the market was still well above its 50-day moving average, but I was saying more than half of the stocks were trading below. Well, now it's gotten even a little more ominous in terms of, you take the longer term moving average, say the 200-day moving average, in the NASDAQ currently, which is still trading above its own respective 200-day moving average, 60% of the stocks in the NASDAQ almost two thirds are below their long-term moving average. So again, we're just kind of seeing some of that deterioration, but the market has also now come off its highs. We're off you know, to the lows last week, something like 8% in the NASDAQ. And the question here is, you know, sort of where do we go from here? We can get into that, but you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, yeah, I know you look at fundamentals and technicals. So you sort of saw that coming from a technical point of view. We will dive in a little bit, but do you feel that that was triggered by fundamentals? What do you think is driving that? Well, I think there's a number of things in terms of, so even seasonally and lots of people have been posting on like September tends to be, you know, one of the worst performing, you know, months or, or returns are kind of chunky and soft, um, especially as we come out of that, you know, earnings season, there's not a lot of headlines. Then if you look at the headlines we did have, there's quite a bit, uh, you know, of, pessimism, skepticism over the Evergrande issue, grappling with uh, Fed policy and tapering 
uh, possible future inflation fears. And, you know, when the market is wrestling with all that, people just tend to lighten up on, on risk, expo risk exposure. And you've sort of seen that. Tech has traded, at least in the last three or four weeks, quite poorly. And if you look at, again, look at a NASDAQ chart, you know, over, say, the NASDAQ 100 of the Qs over the last several weeks, you're seeing a lot of distribution, which means multiple days where the market closes lower on higher than average volume. And if you compare that with the last four or five months, that's, you know, that's a change in character. And whenever I see that kind of stuff, this is, and I make this analogy a lot, I'm not saying all the devils are here uh, for a bigger move lower, but yeah, there's yeah. a few and you just need to be careful. I'm holding a decent amount of cash until I see a little bit more clarity. And then we can get into, you know, say looking at, at the Russell as well and how I'm thinking about that. Yeah, I feel like I feel like everyone's kind of been waiting for the shoe to drop. There's a sense that there is some some washout coming. You think that 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 rotation out of the mega cap tech stocks. And yes, you can look at headlines, whether they're related to Facebook and the blowback there with the whistleblower or, you know, Amazon. I mean, you, you can take your pick. Do you feel like some of that selling in megatech was related to the fundamentals of the technology or people just looking to liquidate those huge gains they had in technology? and either go to cash and keep their powder dry or chase the energy story. I, I think you kind of nailed that. I think it's a combination of all of those. And whenever people have long-term profits, and oh, by the way, we, we have potential uh, increases in long-term capital gains taxes here in the US as well, possibly coming. Um, and then you add some of that other, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt to it, plus another, you know, sector starting to perk up and look better. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what you're seeing. You're just seeing rotation. And we, we, we really had that all year where one group is rotating into another. And I've talked about this, uh, you know, sort of almost ad nauseum, it feels like for the last six, seven, eight months. Uh, but you haven't seen it really hit the overall tape where the, the market would correct two or three percent. And then you'd see this bigger rotation under the surface where now you're seeing a little more wobbliness in the indexes themselves. One positive, well, there, there's more than, there, there are always, you always want to look at both sides of everything. You find yourself too far teetering on one side of the boat, you've got, you're going to get thrown across the other side at some point. So you always want to have an open mind and be ready for both sides of the trade, long or short. Yeah. And uh, pessimism is definitely starting to rise, at least in terms of some of the sentiment indicators I look at. The uh, AAII uh, bulls bears hit the highest number of bears in the last few weeks that it has in probably a year. That's a positive from a contrarian standpoint. It says that fear is kind of picking up, and there's a few others like that. So I wouldn't. Um, I, I'm not really. I'm holding a lot of cash, but I'm I'm prepared to see the market go lower um, or potentially, you know, grind out a bottom. Bottoms tend to be a little noisier, choppier affairs. And I'm I'm not a bottom picker per se, so I'm I'm much willing to give up three, five, maybe even ten percent off the lows, looking for smoother waters than sort of uh, you know trying to swim against the riptide. Yeah, one of the problems is I feel like people have felt like that's coming, and every time they've tried to prepare for it, tech took off again, and they and you know you miss you miss that run. So there's there's that fear building up. But then you also have the fear of missing out again if it's a, a, a fake. Exactly. And, and this is that, again, every time, even for our work, where, where it says, hey, you should be raising a little bit of cash this year, you've kind of looked like a dummy. The market is just, has just right. sort of bottomed and gone the other way. Well, that's often the market um, 
just sort of setting a larger trap. And I am not, I, I'm a longer term equity bull as well, but I, I make tactical shifts pretty regularly. And as I said, I'm looking for a few other things to kind of confirm before I would get aggressive on the long side. Uh, but if mega cap tech uh, or even tech in general, if you look at some of the other sort of leaders we had, they're not leading in the way they were. The squares, the PayPal's, the DocuSigns, you know, that were that had some of these monster moves uh, and were, were really kind of uh, leading the charge for a while. All those look potentially toppy or at least like they need a little bit more time maybe before they can reassert themselves or we just need rotation. But when financials and energy are leading, I tend to be a little bit more cautious. Now, those are in two separate camps. I have a little stronger view on energy than I do on financials, but um, that that just doesn't it doesn't bode as high in terms of the overall risk appetite, you know, as when some of the higher flying momentum type names are really leading. Yeah. So so how do you feel about we've seen a huge move in energy prices? I mean, oil up uh, by some measures, Brent up 20 percent from August. I mean, it's just a huge move. How are you viewing that? Because you you know, there, there are different conversations happening and some of them seem to be related to supply issues. You've at the same time got Goldman out down get grading growth. Where, where, how are you viewing this? What's your time frame on this? Well, um, starting speaking of spot, you know, sort of energy prices to begin with, you know, say oil trading near 80, I think is an interesting level. Uh, it's definitely extended in the short run. So if you look, like you said, this this move we've had since uh, sort of this breakout a month ago has been, you know, definitely um taking some people by surprise, myself included. And if you look though, this is sort of the highest we've really traded since the big break we had all the way back in and around 14, 2014, depending on how you measure you know, front month prices. So I would expect there to be at least some stalling here. And the, the, the bigger point though is when markets do what you don't expect, uh, that's what kind of even raises my eyebrows a little more. So I would think even if you're an energy bull, you, a pullback here might be expected. I certainly would not be chasing oil here. Um, however, the oil equities are trading pretty well. But as you said before, the theme this year has been once the group rises to the surface, then it kind of then it kind of takes a pause and something else picks up and moves back up. So the trend would be for oil to actually take a little bit of a breather and tech and some of these other things then to kind of lift back and the rotation to flip the other way. However, if that if that does not happen and energy continues, especially oil, if oil continues to really rip, I think you're gonna see potential pressure uh, in some, some other areas, specifically maybe even retail, because I think people are gonna get concerned about the consumer. You yeah. know, the higher oil rises, say above 80 or, or you know, we hit, there are people calling for $100 oil in the next, you know, six to 12 months, depending on, I don't have a strong, strong view on that. But if that happens, uh, I think you're also going to see a lot of uh, sort of the the, the cyclical recovery uh, down, start starting to be downgraded because that, that's an effective tax hike on, on the on the middle and lower class. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
Right. A- immediate too. We used to always, you know, it, it, people kind of view it that way because you feel it, it, it even psychologically. You just go, you're going to fill up your car. It's something everyone does. And that that impact, you don't have to look, wait a long time for it to sort of filter through. It has a chilling effect a lot of times on spending when that's the case. It, I heard someone say something interesting that, listen, this is not a supply issue, right? There's enough supply. And always when you followed, and this is where commodities get tough when you follow oil, I mean, the minute it gets too high, OPEC knows that the producers know that there's a sweet spot where they want it up. But if it's up too much, too high, too fast, it's going to kill demand. And and they're not usually keen to see that happen either. So there are these larger fundamentals at play here we have to be careful with, right? Certainly. And this this would be where I would sort of default to other people's view more in terms of, well, what is the real driver, uh, specifically even in the area of inflation? Uh, I mean, there are some really strong views, I think both which are well stated in terms of what's really going on. Uh, I'm looking at it more in terms of to say, well, every in- incremental dollar we go higher, uh, certainly in the short run, or stay higher for longer, I think is a potential uh, negative, at least you know, in, in the three to six, nine month period for potential economic growth. Mm-hmm. Now, Again, I don't have a huge, I don't like to see rip-roaring growth, but I think with the Delta wave and other things, there's been enough curveballs thrown at sort of the the recovery that everybody thought was, you know, just going to be rip-roaring gangbusters through 21 that, you know, uh, continued pressure higher in oil is not going to be viewed very positively, I don't think, by the overall market. And we may just see uh, continued, like I said, more, more cyclical rotation. Uh, specifically out of those areas that are going to be most sensitive to higher oil prices. And it's interesting when you look at when you look at the sector performance, it feels like when you're in the middle of it that, you know, energy's having this huge rotation, the prices are up 20%. The sector is still one of the worst pr- performing sectors on the year, which w- is kind of surprising given what we've seen or not because I guess the time frame um is so and tech is still up there, even though these tech names have been heard and, and have given back a lot. They're still some of the biggest gainers of the year. Yeah. And 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 that that could continue like I would expect for if oil stays in it here to hire or even just doesn't sell off meaningfully. Uh, I think you'll probably see the energy names trade at least better. And some of the commodity encyclicals, a lot of people don't understand they're They trade a little more inverse in terms of their cycle versus tech. So like tech, when, when the earnings and sales are, are often big or on the table, tech even has bigger moves uh, because they're, they're pricing in you know, future expected you know, gains. And I mean, how many times have you heard people cry about the valuation of XYZ tech stock? It's too high, it's too high. And then it doubles again, you know, yeah. uh, where oil's different. Normally by the time, uh, say oil and natural gas have, triple digit earnings and huge sales for multiple quarters, that's usually at the end of the move. Well, we're, we're kind of in the middle right now where certainly there, those who have managed them, their, the companies well are gonna start to see those earnings really start to hit. So I would argue, you know, depending on, of course, on how well they've been managed. And I, w- I would also argue it's a little bit misleading because in, in the commodity sectors, they're always gonna be dogs, people who, who sort of managed, they managed it really poorly, and they're holding back the leaders in terms of the overall performance. But I, I would say, you know, again, 
the, the earnings and sales aren't fully on the table yet. By the time they are, that's often when certainly the shrewdest and smartest commodity investors are usually sellers. Yeah. They were buying the best run companies when things were just bombed out, you know, nine, 12 months ago. And when things look really great, that's when they're going to be they're going to be taking those profits or starting to in the better names. Mark, that's such an important point, because I think that when we're talking about especially people who are who are investing, when you're looking at these asset classes, like you, you do really have to know what you're talking about when you get into the commodity space, because it is, as you say, you know, the lead time there, your understanding, the, uh, the ability to see it in the, in the stock price. It's, it, it works a little differently there. So that's a great cautionary note, I think, for people who may be jumping on this big move in commodities. You really need to dig in. And we have people who are on all the time at Real Vision, whether you're listening to Tony Greer or Ms. Schneider, who really understand that space. Um, so I encourage everyone to, to check them out. And Tony's going to be on with us tomorrow. So that'll be fantastic. Talk to me about the Russell, because every time, and, and I did it right at the top of the show, but I knew we were going to get to it. So I didn't want to put it in the snapshot. But Everyone rattles off U.S. equities, no matter what snapshot you look online, anywhere you're going to see the Dow, the S&P 500, the Nasdaq. You never see anyone talking about the Russell, but you watch us really closely. Talk to yeah. me a little bit about why the Russell is important. Sure. Yeah. You know, well, you'll, you'll see me talk about the Russell quite a bit <laughs> because I just think it's a better proxy for the average stock in the in the every man's portfolio uh, and and sort of for. How how has it really felt if you own a basket of of different names? Because you're talking about a basket of 2,000 versus say 30 in the Dow, 500 in the S and P, um, and and then if you look at it though this year, I think it's been a much better proxy for you know overall equity performance. It's really gone nowhere for six, seven, eight months. The reason uh, I'm I'm watching it really closely right now though is I'm almost treating this like this is last line of the Alamo. So if if and, and I'll I'll make you know probably the most conviction I have right now is that if the Russell breaks meaningfully here, we have an intermediate top in the U.S. stock market. I don't think you could get away from that with the deterioration in breadth that we've seen, uh, the distribution that we've started to see in the NYSE and the Nasdaq. If if the last line of defense being the Russell has just continued to mark time and go sideways, which is actually potentially positive, it could go either way. Uh, but if it breaks meaningfully here, I, I I don't see any any way we come back nearly as quickly. One caveat would be sometimes these obvious levels, these obvious technical levels are often begging to be sort of tested yeah. in a healthy way or even undercut. So like a lot of people love to look at the long term moving averages, different things. Well, you'll see that the market finds support there, but it may undercut it by four or five percent. Well, that can be really scary in real time for a lot of folks, and it rinses out a lot of loose longs. But if we get, say, a weekly close or two uh, below sort of key support in the Russell, I think the U.S. equity market is potentially in trouble. So, uh, and so when you say breakout, just to be clear, you're talking about a breakout to the downside. Well, I'm, right now I'm saying the Russell is basically in well, either a, way, in either way. Uh, and if it breaks out to the downside, you're saying that's a that's a signal that the larger market's in trouble, the broader market's in trouble. Certainly, sir. I think I think that will potentially coincide with uh, a hard or heavy test of the 200-day moving average on some of the other indices. So I could see the bottom of that range being tested again. But if that fails, and this is what people need to be watching for, if if 
If we close meaningfully below there, I will be net short or pop and certainly hedged on any long positions I still have if I'm holding. I'm I'm already holding a bunch of cash and I'm saying I'm will I'm willing to hold even more uh, just because it's it's that's when the market turns into one of these who who knows how low we go. Yeah. And that's not a game I tend to play. I'm not a volatility off the bottom type player. If you are, it's going to be Christmas come early if that if those levels go because that's when managers just start going, get me out. Uh, and and once you get into a market like that, who's to say? Yeah. Uh, and I'm this not- is why the fall is so dangerous, because nobody wants to go into year end being, you know, being on the losing side of things, too. So that exacerbates the move. Is there a level you're looking at for that downside break, Mark? Well, uh, I would say, you know, if you look at the IWM on the on a weekly, which is that's the that's the, the Russell 2000 ETF, uh, I would say a close below 215 is is trouble. Uh, weekly close below 215 and and below 213 210 again it is even bigger trouble um so those are those are the areas i'd be looking at and then you know seeing again we've had this con- even in this correction you've seen like well the nasdaq will go down while the russell's kind of flat to down a little bit if everything starts to trade in concert would be the other thing and i would look for that both ways so if if the if the market really starts to to come on in advance again, I would prefer to see everything move. Yeah, you know, everything has an accumulation day, not just the Nasdaq while the Russell's flat, and and vice versa. Though, if every if everything goes risk off, that you know that's going to be a sign that people are just saying to your point, it's Q4, and I don't like what I'm seeing, and I'm going to lock in whatever gains I have for the year and cut all the positions I don't want. That's what yeah. you need to be on the lookout for. And, and and put another way, if we see equities resume their rally, if the Russell's not participating, that's worrying for you. Yeah, it's, it will just it will just generally suggest that the breath is probably weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's what I highlighted earlier in the summer. I was hoping mega cap tech was going to lead and the Russell's going to break out. Mega cap tech sort of poked its head out. Those breakouts failed and the Russell continued going sideways. Now, the Russell hasn't failed. It's anytime a market's in a consolidation, it's usually just building energy. So. I'm saying I think we're building energy for a move. Uh, <laughs> that worries me, Mark, when you say well, that. That worries we'll me. See. We'll see. This is this is a perfect time as we're kind of building the dashboard um, for our listeners on what to look out for as this energy is building. And that is exactly how it feels, by the way. I'm, I'm teasing saying it worries me because I think that's where my where I'm leaning. But it, it is true. Like you feel the sense, we talked about it before, that something's going to happen. I had the chance to spend some time uh, with Emil Kalinowski, the host of Eurodollar University podcast. And he worked through some data from the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS, that focuses on private debt that could also be useful to have on that dashboard as we look uh, for potential issues out there. Have a listen to part of that interview. Well, the BIS is a very helpful central bank and it collates all the data from its member countries plus non-members to try to put together a picture of what the monetary order financial system looks like. And a few years ago, they announced the addition of two new measures of early, an early warning indicator for a systemic banking crisis. And they update this quarterly. And to your point, they update the data, but not always provide the you know, easily digestible output. So you have to get in there and manage it some more. Uh, And that's what I did. And that's what I want to share with the audience. And the key, the key that I want to share 
is they make it a point to say that it's a systemic banking crisis, right? Because there are several yes. kinds of banking crises. We could have a, a bank run, Northern Rock 2007, that's just one bank. We could have a lot of banks go down, but not be systemic, like the savings and loans of the in the United States in the late 1980s. They're saying, no, this is the real thing. This is if this, we what we are seeing here has the probability of spilling over the berms and washing out through the rest of the economy. So they're talking about 2008 kind of systemic yeah. national consequences. Yeah. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Such an interesting interview. Uh, Emil did great work there crunching those numbers, and I think that the viewers are going to find some of the results really surprising. And by the way, we want you to weigh in and let us know what you think and if you have any theories about what's going on there. So um, do check that out. Um, Mark, one of the other things that comes up all the time as we're talking about climbing the wall of worry is, of course, what we've seen in crypto. Big moves there. Um, even today as well, what are you looking at in terms of the technicals uh, in either Bitcoin or Ethereum, whichever one you're watching more closely? Walk us through what you're looking at there. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I, I mentioned this last time I was on where I was sort of saying, you know, I that Bitcoin was in a little bit in the intermediate, you know, sort of weeks to months. This was in July, I think. A little bit of no man's land for me. Uh, where it looked like we'd put in an effective bottom, but I don't like to sort of chase things, you know, well off the bottoms and, and well off the highs. I thought there was a decent amount of overhead supply kind of sitting over the top of the market. Well, a little different story now. And I think if you look uh, specifically at the Ethereum chart, but you look at the way even Bitcoin is traded relative to equities or other risk on, risk on assets, even in the last few weeks, it's traded quite well. And, and there is a even in the last, say, eight weeks, uh, there has been quite a high number of negative headlines, if you will, a lot of which around regulatory fears, a um, lot of, you know, the, the China ban, which was, there's debates about whether that was old news or new news, uh, but it's certainly not, you know, something that makes people want to just buy more of anything when you have, you know, uh, the command control economy literally trying to just stomp it out of existence. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of debate around, you know, the SEC chair and what they're going to do. Are they going to potentially enforce things? Um, and you saw a major washout in May of leverage. And here we are back near old highs with plenty of reasons not to buy because of all the other things I've said, plus probably a host of other things um, that I'm not even smart enough to understand. Let me be clear as a trader. There's so much going on in crypto that I don't understand, but price action is something I think I do understand. And, and it's very bullish uh, to me right now, at least potentially suggestive that if we make new highs in the face of you know, that wall of worry, that just means we have higher to climb. And then the other chart I think is really interesting is Ethereum for a couple of reasons. One, it's putting in a pretty large cup and handle. Uh, it's not... Um, it's not the prettiest chart, but it's very similar where you had a 50% break, which is a large break, and it rallied nearly all the way back to the highs. Now it's sort of pulled back from there, and it's just kind of marking time. And if you look at the, the, the chart historically back to 2017, 
at this period in the cycle then, it did almost the exact same thing. Mm. Markets don't rhyme perfectly, but they do have these sort of recurring, repeating patterns. And part of this is just, it's a function of human psychology at work in markets. So if you chase that rally off the lows in Ethereum, then this pullback has rinsed you out. And if, if it continues to kind of uh, trade sideways, I think you've got a really good trading setup to potentially get more aggressively long, uh, specifically Ethereum. What that says about, you know, pick your altcoin, I'm not going to get into arguments about that. Yeah. But it's, it's overall bullish, I think. And, you know, listen, markets that are able to shrug off bad news and make new highs, that's bullish. Yeah. So I, I am long. I'm looking to get longer, uh, potentially, if it continues. Says the, says the cash king. This is the, uh, the most enthusiastic you've been on anything that you've said so far today. Yeah, that was cash inequity. Sorry, I hope yes. you cash in the equity <laughs> side. But I do have, I do have uh, Bitcoin and ETH positions. And yeah, I will, I'll be adding to them if uh, if really if we start to see if we continue to see the price consolidate and and volume dry up, it would tell me that buyers are going to have to bid up if they want to buy more. So that that's sort of the Cliff Notes version, right? Um, so this this uh, I'm going to uh, field a couple of questions from the audience, um, and one of them is it, it, this, I think this you, you're description about looking at the price action maybe ans partially answered this, but Daniel uh, says, can you describe your trading style and explain how you came to discover the best style for you? Uh, that's a big question. Uh, I will try and give a, a, a succinct answer, but in terms of, you know, my style is generally speaking, I want to see ideally technicals and fundamentals that line up together. So I think of it in terms of the, the fundamentals are great, but uh, so let's say, you know, I, I, I want to put out into the water. Um, I got this great boat and I think it's going to it's it's really going to run great, but I'm staring headfirst into a massive headwind. You know, that's sort of the technicals against me. I'll wait to put in the water uh, or at least aggressively until I think those winds are kind of shifting in my favor. So. That's the, the, the ideal setup. I will trade something on technicals alone, but ideally I'd like to see technicals and fundamentals. So that means it's either, it's either a story or a fundamental driver that I understand combined with technical work that's my own. I don't generally just look at somebody else's technical work and that's mm -hmm. gospel to me. That's not how, how I do things. Now, how I developed that, it's been a process like, of somewhat of trial and error of tracking what I think is statistically significant. If you're starting out investing or trading on any level, I highly recommend people track their actual progress and take good notes. So then you can study, well, has this actually shown positive expectancy in the past when I've seen variables A, B, and C? Mm -hmm. um, you'd be shocked how many people fool themselves into thinking, well, this works. When if they actually studied all of their results, they'd see I don't know if this works really at all. Yeah. Uh, so and you uh, want it when it's working when when other, you know, not everything's working. I mean, that's not a great backdrop too. Certain. I mean, there are sometimes when just anybody everyone's right. Um you want to see over the longer term if it's working. And then ideally for me, the the other thing I would add is let's say there's a thematic uh trade or something that I like. I often like to look for what I call tight areas or low risk entry points would be uh, the way, you know, one of my sort of trading mentors describes it, where you can put on a bigger position, 
without necessarily just taking more risk. And then if you're proven right right away, I would reduce the position, um, say from a, a larger position to one that then I can play out for a longer move. Because if you if you just put on a giant position in anything, at some point, the volatility in that is going to take you for a ride you don't really want to be on, uh, you know, either emotionally uh, or financially. Yeah. So yeah. I'm looking for, yeah, the, the ability to finance a longer hold with a shorter term trade. That's kind of that's an overly simplistic explanation of how I look at things. No, but it's, it's, it's very helpful because uh, clearly there are a lot of people through this and when when things are getting more volatile and the picture is a little murkier it's important to you know have a framework to operate off of um just just in closing mark we've got a question about commodities and a question about tech in 2022 any strong feelings on either of those from ralph and from uh rar capital concepts i'll add one more point to the other point i was just making but i don't have uh in terms of commodities um i i would defer to you know the charts and the trend at this point. I don't have any specific areas. You know, I, I don't can, you know, if you consider big, you know, we went over the Bitcoin. I don't know that I, yeah. that's its own animal. Um, I would be watching the dollar closely. Um, I don't have a strong view there. Um, I, and, and we talked about energy. Uranium, I've talked about in the past. That's sort of very niche uh, commodity. I, I will say in Q4, I would expect that to move higher. And if I'm wrong there, I'll be reducing positions. Um, and then as far as it was tech. Yeah, uh, tech in 2022, a little bit longer term. Yeah, it's, it's a little far out, a little far out for me to make predictions of what do I think in 2022. But generally, my view in tech is uh, I think you're all I think that's the area you want to be looking at to see what names within tech is very broad. Mm. But what areas even within tech are trading well, because you're always going to have a hot area generally, or or an area where tech is just um, disintermediating competitors, or just eating other you know less less tech savvy um, businesses. And so I am always interested in that. I don't have you know anything that's really hot on my radar right now. I do think payments should continue to be strong, um, and then I think there's going to be other related sort of crypto proxies, uh, or even AI is another area. Like if people look at, there's a couple stocks like Lending Club um, and uh, Upstart would be two that are, they're these lending companies that have just gone bananas in the stock market. And there's a lot of people scratching their heads. Well, they're not really lending companies. It's an AI play um, sort of on an old business that tech is is sort of transforming. Mm. So those types of things that I'm always looking for. Disruption. Awesome. Disruptors. Uh, Mark, fantastic. So many great insights there. Thank you so much. And thanks, of course, to all of you for watching The Daily Briefing. We'll see you at the same time, same place, Tuesday with Ash Bennington. And as I mentioned, uh, Tony Greer is going to be with him. So it'll be great for anyone who's interested in commodities. You know, Tony has a long background there. In the meantime, the conversation continues on the Real Vision Exchange. Take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.